The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, that was a fun half hour with uh, Global's Gord Stanky. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We're going to switch gears a little bit here, uh, perhaps become more serious, but with this guest, you never know. Paula Simon's appointed to the Senate on October 3rd by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and now finds herself as one of 95 senators uh, reviewing a bill which could determine the future of Canada's resource industry. I'm speaking, of course, of Bill C-69, known as the Impact Assessment Act. It's the uh, federal government's attempt to impose new environmental assessment measures on Canada's resource sector. Boy, talk about Paula Simons. Welcome to the show. Talk about uh, just uh, going into the fire right away. Well, you know, you'll remember my, my attempt to have a career as a stand-up comedian, which <laughs> had a, a very bright beginning. But no, this I decided for my midlife crisis I would become a senator. Nice, Paula. Uh, I noticed, by the way, that uh, among your credits on the uh, f- on the uh, website for the Senate is not the fact that you won the media challenge at the Edmonton Comedy Festival. I'm sure that's just an oversight. It is an oversight, and I should change that because I have to tell you that of all the trophies and plaques I have, my, my microphone on a stand that you awarded me is my most favored... Uh, most favorite honor. I don't know. I don't. I guess I can never come back to defend it now that I'm not technically. Probably, probably not a good idea. So I would just take that and run and uh, be grateful <laughs> there's no video. Uh, so Paula, uh, let's talk about Bill uh, C69. There, and you know what? I'm going to set this up in such a general way that you can go in any direction you want by telling you. And I don't think I'm breaking news to you. A lot of people in Alberta again are against Bill C69, but they don't necessarily completely uh, know what the bill's all about. No, and it's an extremely long bill and it's extremely complicated. And there are reasons, there are legitimate reasons for all kinds of Albertans to be concerned about the bill. They may not be the reasons that they're being told. So let's back up. We know that our current regime for approving major infrastructure of this nature is broken. Otherwise, Northern Gateway wouldn't have run into trouble. And otherwise, TMX would be under construction. Right. So the status the status quo, I think there's a pretty broad general consensus the status quo doesn't work. So what Bill C-69 set out to do was to come up with a new formula for approving major resource infrastructure projects. So this doesn't just include pipelines. Pipelines are only a tiny part of it. It would cover everything from hard rock mining to solar uh, setups to uh, uh, hydroelectric to nuclear to offshore tidal anything that has a federal jurisdiction. The idea is to come up with a formula that you can use to approve projects that was supposed to be one that gave more clarity, more transparency, and made it uh, simpler to see which projects would get approved and which projects wouldn't. So far, so good. So far, so good. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) Now, Now, we need to have a regulatory regime that protects the environment. I don't think anybody wants us to be making, like, horrible environmental spills and messes. And we need a regulatory regime that respects First Nations' uh, title to land. You can't just, you know, declare the War Measures Act and start putting pipelines and hydroelectric dams on, uh, on treaty land or unceded land. So the idea was to come up with a system that would acknowledge uh, uh, First Nations' indigenous rights and respect and bring them to the table in a collaborative way and to protect the environment while still streamlining bringing industrial projects online. The problem is that the bill is really long and convoluted and in places sort of contradictory, and it's really difficult to know 
how it's going to work. And I think a lot of people, everyone from, you know, from Rachel Notley to Jason Kenney to the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers to, frankly, the Pemina Institute is asking questions about some of the language in the bill. So it's let me let me highlight yeah. some of that language, because I did without, you know, being a senator, I actually read this thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it took me two days, Paula. I, honestly, it it's, was the hardest a, to read. Yeah. And and yeah. I, I, I'm quoting from it here. Um, I'm not. I shouldn't say. Yeah, I am quoting from it. The bill contains a clause. I'm quoting the intersection of sex and gender with other identity factors. A project should be scrutinized <laughs> according to the intersection of sex and gender with other. What are you talking What's about? I don't know. I mean, the journalist in me, like the feminist in me says it's good to think about gender. The journalist in me says, like, that is all gobbledygook. The whole idea is they were supposed to come up with a holistic thing. So it's not, you'll notice, called the environmental impact assessment. It's about impact. So it's supposed to look at economic impacts and social impacts as well as environmental impacts. If they said social impacts, I think this would have been easier to sell. Because let's not be naive. When you move a big work camp into an isolated rural community, it it changes things. Mm. We don't have to think that every guy who works in that camp is some kind of ravening sex beast, because uh, they aren't. But you could acknowledge the fact that if you you know suddenly import you know five hundred a thousand new people to a small community, it's going to have all kinds of social impacts. You know things like you have enough you know a, a, enough restaurant seats or drugstores mm. or you know. So I don't think it's a bad thing to try and look at the social impact of putting mega projects into communities. I wish the journalist in me wishes that they hadn't used that kind of language, which makes people, you know, yes. go madly off in all directions. Right. Take uh, notice think, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think it's fair to say. I mean, you know, um, I always remember years and years ago taking my daughter to Redwater and we stopped in at the at the at the pharmacy there and i've never seen so many condoms on display in one place <laughs> nor such a wide variety of pornography and so you know when you change the demographics of a community and when you've got transient people in and out i don't think it's unreasonable to say okay we have to look at what the impact of putting you know a, a transient work camp in a community might be I, all that kind of political but, but, but Paula, you don't want to create a bottomless well either, though. Let no, you... no, because that's, so, so here are some of the things I would like to change about C-69. I now serve on the Senate Standing Committee on Energy, the Environment, and Natural Resources. And I have to say that until I got there, there was not a single Albertan on that committee. Bizarre. And I, yeah. I, pushed, I pushed hard to be on that committee. And now I'm joined there as well by Patty Labacan Benson, uh, who is the other new senator from Alberta who grew up in rural Alberta, who understands, you know, rural Alberta interests, and who is also very mindful because of her Métis roots of Indigenous issues. So we're both going to be on that committee, and we're both going to be fighting hard to make sure this is the best legislation that it can possibly be. Now, I would like to see some pretty simple changes to this legislation, some of which might be an amendment, and some of might might be in regulation. I would like to know which projects are included. There is no metric in this bill that says, when does the project rise to be big enough that it's included? There's nothing in there that says, for example, that in situ uh, oil extraction for bitumen is it included or isn't it? You know, when I speak to Amarjeet Sohi, for whom I have huge respect, he says it isn't included, but the bill doesn't say it isn't included. Um, similarly, you know, is there 
does the environmental assessment include downstream effects? Well, the bill doesn't say that. Uh, when I speak to Grant Mitchell, who's the senior senator from Alberta, he says, well, of course, it doesn't include downstream, and we don't mention downstream because we don't mention unicorns. Unicorns aren't in the bill either. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think people would like some assurance, not just sort of in passing, that, that the line isn't going to be moved. You know, people aren't going to be moving the tape measure halfway through. There are some, I think, legitimate concerns about how much discretion the Minister of the Environment has to kibosh something, even after it's, you know, gone through an approval process. And I think there's some real concerns, like when they enumerate the basis on which they are going to be approving something. Economic impacts are sort of squished in there with everything else. And I think it would be really useful and important, uh, and this is a, an amendment that was actually suggested uh, to us by the, uh, by the Canadian Bar Association, even if you just pulled out the words economic impacts and gave them their own line in the laundry list of, of reasons, it would say economic things have to be considered not just in passing, but as a major consideration. Mm. Because let's, let's be blunt, any major natural resource infrastructure project, whether it's you know a coal mine or a pipeline or a nuclear power plant, is going to have an environmental impact. We can't say we're never going to build anything that has an environmental impact. What we have to say is it's a balance. So how are we squaring up the balance so that it is fair to the environment and that there's a, an assurance that investors have that they can put money and energy into a project and not find out three years later that, oh, well, the government was never going to approve that anyway. So, mm -hmm. you know, you wasted all your time. What's interesting is, you know, a lot of people have yelled at me and said, why didn't you kill the bill? Well, that was my next question. So, and, and I would assume that it's yeah, easier to fix a house than build a new one. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I have sat down and had a lot of meetings with major players in the energy sector, um, with the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, with the Canadian Energy Pipeline Association. I've met with people from Husky and Suncor and Imperial. I'm, I'm meeting with Synovus next week. Uh, I've met with Martha Hall Finley of the Canada West Foundation. I'm having another meeting with her next week. There are lots of people who are unhappy with this bill who don't want it thrown out because their logic is if you throw the baby out with the bathwater, we have to start all mm -hmm. over again. And that just creates months and years more uncertainty. That is no good for investment confidence. And I have to tell you something, threatening to separate, also not really great for investor confidence. <laughs> look, look, what, look what that did to Montreal's financial sector, say, back when I was a kid. Um, it's important that we not set our hair on fire here. If the end game is to get legislation that makes it simpler for everyone to decide what gets approved and what doesn't, then what we should try to do is fix what we have. Because there's a template there. It's imperfect. But rather than, you know, tear the house down, I'd rather build on the rebar. So, well, uh, and, that's, and that's what industry spokespeople tell me they want. So... There we are. All right. And, you know, I keep calling you Paula. I suppose I should be calling you uh, Senator S Senator I, I am I am now styled the Honorable. The Honorable Paula Oh, the Honorable. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm still me. I'm still the Paula Simons that everybody's known for all these years in the journal. The Paula Simons who's, you know, written on Twitter about cleaning her toilets and, you know, cutting her toenails. Uh, it, it is a bit silly to pretend that I got super fancy just because 
I, I got this job. And you know what, Paula? Uh, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about sh- uh, next. And I know we're be- you're being very gracious with your time. Can I put you on hold for a couple of minutes? We'll sell some things and then and, and then continue this conversation. It would be my pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. More with Paula Simons in just a moment. All right, 2.49 on the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. We've been talking to Senator Paula Simons, who's kindly and graciously agreed to keep talking with us. You brought up Twitter, and and I wanted to bring up uh, Twitter anyways in this conversation. So you live-tweeted the debate over the third reading of, was that Bill C-89, which was the the, back-to-work? The the back-to-work order for postal workers, yes. Right. So the Senate, and I don't think I'm breaking news to you, Paula, is not well-known for having people live-tweet that's that's and I know that that was a great aspect of you as a journalist and as an Albertan out here. I mean, I follow you on Twitter and really enjoy your tweets. But tweeting live from uh, how did other senators react to that? Well, there was a huge range of reaction because you're right. First of all, the Senate doesn't get a whole lot of media coverage. Period. So it's not as though there are lots of journalists live tweeting what is happening in the Senate. You know, the way my my pal Emma Graney live tweets question period in Edmonton, that is not a thing that happens at the Senate. So I I started live tweeting because it was a really interesting and important debate. And I thought, you know, lots of what happens in the Senate is frankly not so interesting. But this was a, a really intense debate about a matter of public policy that was going to affect a lot of Canadians. And I thought, well, you know, no one else is telling people what's happening here. It's like we disappeared into a void. Uh, you know, it's, the Senate is not yet on television, although it, it hopes to be uh, next month. So I thought, well, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to decide for myself how I'm going to vote because my mind was not made up. And I thought, well, what has always helped me as a journalist to think through an issue is to live tweet it. Because in the act of tweeting, in the act of critically listening and condensing and boiling down what people are saying, there's a lot of, you know, in, intensive listening and thinking that goes on in that process. Mm-hmm. So I thought, A, I'll do the people of Canada a bit of a public service and show them what's going on here. And B, I'll help myself clarify my own thinking. And it was such a great debate. I mean, the quality of arguments on both sides was extraordinary. And so yeah, some of some of my colleagues were a little taken aback because are you allowed to do that? But mostly people liked it. And now I'm really pleased because... Uh, my my Senate colleague Pierre Garçon, who sits uh, just beside me, uh, yeah, he sits on the other side of Patty, so he's, he's near us. Um, he uh, is this remarkable uh, uh, Quebec uh, jurist and law prof and expert in constitutional law, and he was so taken with what I was doing on C69, he started live tweeting in French. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. And this is really, this is really funny. His, his young staffers came to us and said. Senator Delphine asked us to put Twitter on his on his <laughs> computer. Um, so I mean, he, he he's not your typical tweeter, um, but his tweets are extremely cogent and um, you know, providing that you can read French to keep up with him, uh, really insightful. I mean, he tweets from a completely different perspective than I have, but. You know, it's funny because uh, Senator Black and I have had many conversations over the years, so it comes as no surprise. Um, I'm actually uh, a great advocate of the Senate, and I often get into debates with listeners about its purpose or its function. Or, and, and without getting into that right now with you, Paula, it actually plays a very significant and important role in in uh, shaping legislation. Bill well, C. Well, let's, let me, let's think about the Bill C. Sixty Nine debate. A lot of people have written to me and said, "Well, this is just proof that the Senate should be abolished." I'm thinking, no, 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 no. 
Well, they've done it. They'll see a 69 movie at the wall. They, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. Like there, Therein lies that chamber of uh, second sober thought, right? That was the purpose of it, and that's the purpose it still serves. But in order to regain relevancy, things like, and I shouldn't say regain relevancy, uh, per- perceived relevancy, you have to be yeah. on things like Twitter and social media because that's the world we live in right now. Yeah, and I have to say... Um, the Senate has a wonderful communication staff. I've been really, really pleased with the young comms. Uh, I shouldn't say young; makes me feel very old. With the uh, with the professional comms people who work there, uh, who I think have been quite delighted to work with me. I hope uh, they seem they they're if they're not delighted, they're doing a good job of pretending. Um, but there are a lot of you know newer senators uh, who've come in in this last wave of independent Senate appointments, who are a little more social media savvy. Uh, and I think it's I think it's really important that. People understand what the Senate is there for. And it's so easy to be cynical about the Senate. There's been so much bad press about it. Lots of it warranted. Some of it not quite so warranted as all that. But, you know, when you go to Ottawa, you don't quite realize when you're here in Edmonton what a little bubble of privilege it is. You know, Ralph Klein used to talk about dome disease. Mm. People at the Alberta legislature who only think about what happens at the dome. And I have to tell you, in the couple of months that I've been traveling back and forth to Ottawa, I mean, the variant of dome disease that exists at Parliament Hill, you know, it, it, it's like hill fluenza. Um, people who are there really are in their own little silo at talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think if the Senate is going to have any relevance for the 21st century, we have to stop doing that. We have to explain to people, what are we doing there? Why does it matter? And, and I have to say, Twitter's been great for me in another way, too, because Lots of people who didn't understand my vote on C-69, they thought I voted to pass it, which I didn't, for the record. Um, like Patty, um, I voted to send it to committee, a committee on which Patty Labican Benson and I both sit. Um, so it would have been ridiculous for us to vote against it. We wanted to go to committee for amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, bills don't, bills don't die on second reading. They either go to committee or they go straight to third reading. And if we wanted to go to committee, that's, that's what we voted for. So um, so I think that's really important for people to understand. And at least on Twitter and on Facebook, I've been able to reach out to Albertans directly because lots of people have emailed me, have tweeted at me, have sent me Facebook messages saying, you know, why did you vote for Bill C-69? And I had to say to them, you know, no one's voted for Bill C-69 <laughs> yet. Yeah. I mean... Because yeah, people have written to me and said, well, I was told it passed. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, whoever told you that, it hasn't passed. That's not the kind of thing I would make up. I mean, the bill hasn't passed yet. And you thought so, journalism was tough. <laughs> well, I have to say, journalism, being, being on Twitter is, journalism has been great preparation for this. Because, you know, and the nice thing is, I'm not a member of a party. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm not a Democrat. Um, I'm an independent. And so no one is telling me what to tweet. There's no one. It's a bit scary, Andrew. I have no editor. There is no one. To, there is no one to tell me what I can and cannot tweet. My goodness. Um, you know, once upon a time, I had I had my my managing editor Sarah O'Donnell to, to save me from the worst excesses of my brain. But um, you know, the the the, the, so, but the the huge freedom is. I'm not pushing any party line. I'm not campaigning for the government. I'm not campaigning for the opposition. I am giving my best good faith analysis of the legislation, which I think is flawed in serious ways, which I'm going to try to amend. 
if I can't get meaningful amendments, I will end up having to vote against it. And I've, and I've said that publicly. Uh, but before we, you know, start a civil war, before we start threatening to execute people, perhaps we could actually do some serious work to fix the legislation, to bring the investment back to Canada, to get oil moving to new markets, and at the same time, do our best towards doing so in a responsible uh, social and environmental way. We'll have to leave the conversation right there, Paula. We've uh, run out of time. Senator, the Honourable Simons. Uh, <laughs> thank you for this. I really enjoyed this. It was very insightful and, and informative, and I really enjoyed it. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for doing well, this today. Well, have me back. Doug Black and I can come on together and, you know, sing duets. Anytime. Okay. All right, goodbye. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.